So I am offering a disclaimer before I start today. Um, I'm really not going to try to spoil the Barbie movie for you, um, but it might happen, so just prepare yourselves. Also, I'm not being employed by their advertising company either. I just am a lady who really loved a movie, so I want to share about it with you. Has anybody seen it? Okay, good. A couple. Come on, guys. What have you been doing? <laughs> I'm sure you've heard the buzz around it as It and Oppenheimer came out last weekend. Honestly, one of the biggest movie weekends probably since before the pandemic. But in the movie Barbie, the Barbies and the Kens, they all live in this fictitious world called Barbie Land. It seems very perfect, and everyone in Barbie Land seems very, very happy. Well, the Barbies seem very happy anyway. Ken, we find out, is not very happy. You see, Ken loves Barbie, and he wants so badly to be validated by Barbie. And Barbie is just busy, busy living her life, being herself. She doesn't really need Ken, and she makes it known to Ken that she does not need him. Now, eventually things go awry with Barbie, and it causes her to journey into the real world, where she finds something pretty shocking. Women are not quite what she expected. You see, in Barbie land, the Barbies control everything. They are the main people in society. And they are so joyful and happy because they truly believe that they have taught young girls that they can do anything they want to do. They can be doctors, lawyers, Supreme Court justices, authors, construction workers, male people, presidents. But in the real world, when Barbie is faced by a whole group of men and CEOs, she finds that women are kind of struggling and they are not being held in as high of honor as she feels like they should be. Now, Ken comes along with Barbie to the real world, and he learns about this word called patriarchy. And Ken is pretty delighted by that because he finds in the real world, men run the show. He is initially introduced to the patriarchy from this painting of men dressed as cowboys riding horses, and he thinks that looks really great. I'd like to be a part of that. He finds out that men in the real world don't just follow Barbie around begging for her attention. They get what they want. They are respected. They're taken seriously. They run the world. And Ken is delighted by this, so he brings that idea of patriarchy back to Barbie land because he thinks that power will make all the Kens happy. Now, patriarchy brings us back to our reading from Genesis. I assume you know patriarchy is when in a society, men are pretty much in charge, they hold the power, and that means that women are generally excluded. And that is the basis for our text today. Laban is the older male, the patriarch, he is Jacob's uncle, the brother of Jacob's mother, and Jacob has found himself in a pickle. He's on the run from his brother Esau, whose birthright he has stolen, and he's attempting to find safety in a new land and also a wife. But I want to give you that bridge that connects last week's Jacob to this week's Jacob, like I told to the kids this morning. 
So last week, Jacob was a dreamer. He has this beautiful dream where the God and the angels are climbing this ladder from heaven, and God tells him that he's going to inhabit the land and that he's going to have many, many generations come after him. And in turn, he gives thanks to God and he builds an altar to God. Now, this week's Jacob is kind of a Ken in that he adores his Barbie, Rachel, but we missed some things. We missed that story of their meet-cute. Like I said, Jacob is fleeing. He's traveling to Laban's land. He comes up to a well. Rachel is coming in to water her father's sheep. She's a shepherdess, and Jacob sees Rachel. He has this he-man moment where he takes the rock from the well and throws it to the side. He waters her sheep for her. And then he runs up and he kisses her and he is in love. We hear that Jacob is in love with Rachel. Rachel might have just been living her life as a shepherdess. Nobody really asks her. Then everything with Ken, oh sorry, Jacob, (laughs) everything that Jacob does from that point on is devoted to getting Rachel. He wants her so bad. But this story is a little different from Barbie in the sense that it takes place fully in the real world, where patriarchy is the standard, where men are in control, nobody asks Rachel or Leah what they want, Laban gets to decide what happens, and Laban chooses to trick Jacob into first marrying Leah and then working seven more years to marry Rachel. So this is a sermon, not just a dialogue on Barbie. So we should probably figure out where God is in all of this. It's pretty hard to find God in this text. And especially because it's a story that kind of makes you go, ugh, you know? It isn't a story where men look good. Laban is this kind of sneaky snake who tricks Jacob. And Jacob is a foolish Ken doll. I mean, if honestly, if you read between the lines, the man is too drunk to notice that on his wedding night, he is with Leah and not Rachel. (laughs) But this story isn't really a great look for women either. Barbie, Leah, and Barbie, Rachel apparently get no say and could just be plastic dolls being moved around as playthings. Nobody's looking great in this text. Plus, They never consult God or even mention God. So where's God? Where's the good news? To find that, I think we have to jump ahead to the Gospels. I'm thinking about another story where a man meets a woman at a well, but he does not marry her. The story I'm thinking of is the story where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. She's at the well, and Jesus comes to her asking for a drink. After he tells her that he knows all these things about her life, including her multiple husbands, she proclaims that he's the Messiah, and he gives her the water of life. What I want you to note in this story that is different from our story about a well today is that Jesus speaks to the woman, and the woman gets a voice as well. She gets to serve God as an individual human person. And that is very enlightening when we think about the woman at the well, her many husbands, 
in relationship to our gospel text for today. This is a very small question that the Sadducees ask Jesus, mostly about resurrection, but it is very revealing. It's very revealing about who we are as individual people and our relationship with God and with one another. They ask that question about husbands who are brothers and the woman marrying the next brother in line. Now, this story might also seem weird to you, and it is a strange practice. It's a practice that does go back to Moses, and especially it goes back to Jacob and one of Jacob's sons named Judah. You see, in this story in Genesis, there is an Israelite woman named Tamar. Her husband, the son of Judah, dies, and they haven't had any kids, so she is supposed to marry the next brother in line. And she does, but the next brother in line does this thing where he spills his seed on the ground so that she does not become pregnant. And then she, he dies because God doesn't like that. <laughs> this is a Bible story, friends. <laughs> so she's supposed to marry the next brother in line, but he's too young. Judah, Judah says, wait a little bit and I'll marry you to him. But he doesn't. He doesn't do that for her, and she gets kind of cast off to her father's house. Now, this isn't the way things are supposed to go. So she dresses up as a prostitute, as one does, and she lures in, she don't, okay, no, she doesn't lure in Judah. He is very willing. So he finds her, they sleep together, and he gives her his staff as this I-O-U. She becomes pregnant. She brings the staff to him and she says, surprise, you're the baby's daddy. You owe me marriage. So he marries her and she gets what is owed to her. But that's the story of brothers and how people got married off. This story deals with that tradition of a woman marrying the next brother in line in order to secure the first brother's line. It's weird, it's a weird tradition, but it does beg the question of who a woman belongs to. So back to the gospel. The Sadducees have a question about what that will look like in the afterlife. Whose wife is this woman going to be if she's married all the brothers? What does Jesus say? Whose wife is she? Nobody's. Nobody's. Jesus proclaims that what defines us is our relationship with God not our relationship with other people in the afterlife. The struggle in our world, the struggle in Barbie land, the struggle with Laban and Jacob is that they are spending so much time defining themselves in relation to others. And especially within the power that they have over other people and the power that they think other people will have over them. That tended to be their focus and that is oftentimes our focus as well. And when that is our focus, we find that nobody's really happy or joyful or living or thriving. In Barbie land and in the real world, they are held captive to those dynamics. Now, my absolute favorite line from the Barbie movie is when Ken has taken part in this coup to overthrow the Barbies with his newfound power of patriarchy, he confesses to Barbie this. 
To be honest, when I found out that the patriarchy wasn't about horses, I kind of lost interest. <laughs> Ken finds that the patriarchy isn't really what makes him happy, and it certainly isn't making Barbie happy either. So I have to wonder about Laban and Jacob. Are they even happy in this story? And are they rooted in God in these texts? Do you think that tricking Jacob into marrying Leah because that is how it's done in society makes Laban happy? Do you think that being tricked into marrying Leah makes Jacob happy? And then having to work seven more years for Rachel? I don't think so. And do you think Rachel is happy that no one even asked her if she wanted to marry Jacob? And do you think Leah is happy to be the second choice but the first wife? To always be number two to her sister? To be sold off into marriage? No. I don't think that anyone is happy or thriving because no one is centered in God's story. This is a story about patriarchy. It's a story about human power. It's a story of what happens to us when we become so focused on our power in relationships instead of dwelling in the grace that truly surrounds us as people who are created and beloved children of God. So when we ask, where is God in this story? It's okay to say, God is absent in many ways because that teaches us something as well. But what Jesus teaches us in the Gospels is that what truly brings us joy, what brings us life, what helps us thrive is that when we are seen, when we are seen by God, when we are seen for who we are in relationship to God, not being seen for who we are in relationship to just other people. At the end of the Barbie movie, Ken has a really, another really great line. He realizes that that patriarchy isn't really bringing him joy. Begging for Barbie's attention isn't bringing him love. He realizes instead that he alone is enough. He is created. He is made good. He realizes that he is enough, or as he says, enough. <laughs> and I think that's true for us, too. It's true in our relationship to others, and it's true in our relationships to God. We set aside those other things, those power struggles, those things that don't really help us thrive or bring us life, those things that we think will make us important or desirable or better than someone else. When we stop all of that, when we just live into God's world and who God sees us as, then we thrive. Because God does see you. God sees you as a beloved child, as someone who is created and created good and who is gifted with an abundant life. You are enough. You are enough. So amen, and thanks be to God for that. Amen.